Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we begin a brand new series called Tug of War. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. At times in our spiritual journey, we feel pulled in different directions. We want to have faith, but we feel the tug of doubt. We come together to worship God on Sundays, but Monday through Friday, our work week tells a different story. We wonder how to hold convictions about our beliefs while still being compassionate toward those who think differently. Sometimes it feels like there's a tug of war within our souls. But does following Jesus have to always mean either or? Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, That was trippy for me. For those of you still waking up, that was my voice. And I've never had this experience before. Um, So it makes sense. Maybe let's pray together first before we get into it. How about we do that? Let's, uh, yeah, good. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of each other, for the gift of a space to gather, to sing, to pray. We know, God, that you are far beyond anything we could ever fully dream or imagine. So I pray, God, that you would give us stillness in our hearts and our minds, even in this moment, to hear from you, to hear your word, that your spirit would move in and through our hearts. We thank you, God. We love you. And we pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people say it. Amen. Does anyone here just love a good tug of war? There's, yeah, there's something really just historic about a good tug of war. And I love a good tug of war, but I think the only thing that I might like more than a tug of war is a monster truck tug of war. We had to edit some swearing out of that video, obviously. Um, So now that was unfortunate. But how many of us have felt like that, like deep in our hearts and our souls? Like there's just this tension being pulled within us. Well, that's that's what this whole series is going to be about. Those tensions that we feel deep down in our heart and soul. For example, maybe you've come here on a Sunday morning. And you've experienced, like we did just a little bit ago, a powerful time of singing and prayer and community, and you feel alive, and God feels close and present, but then you go to work Monday morning, right? You go back to your sphere of influence, you go way over on this side, and it feels as if what happened on Sunday is disconnected from the rest of our lives. Well, next week, we're actually gonna talk about the tension between work and worship. Or how about this one? We hold deep, abiding convictions about what's right and wrong in the world, and yet, we know that we need to have compassion for the world, even those who violate our convictions. 
in two weeks, we're going to talk about the tension between compassion and conviction. But today I want to talk about a tension that maybe all of us at some level have felt, and that's the tension between faith and doubt. I remember the very first funeral I officiated. I was 23 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. It was a funeral for the father of one of our students who had committed suicide in their home. It ripped this family to shreds. And I show up, expected to make everything better. And I'm doing my best and I'm trying to pray with people and I'm trying to be present. I remember at the actual funeral, we're standing at a poster board that had a bunch of pictures of the young man who had passed. And I'm looking at these pictures and there's this woman standing next to me and she's crying. And then she says something that I've heard a lot since then. She says, I want to believe that God is good. I want to believe that he's powerful. But if that's the case, how could he let this happen? Has anyone ever been there before? I mean, truthfully, two days ago, someone was at my desk sharing just some heart-wrenching details about her life. She said, I want to follow Jesus, and I have been, but I got to be honest that in this moment, I'm feeling torn. I think a lot of us have felt this tension between faith and doubt, and it's exactly in that tension that we want to enter for the next few moments together. Now, before we go any further, I want to talk briefly about what it is when we're talking about faith. And this is a big topic, one we could spend a lot of time uh, unpacking, but the author of Hebrews actually explains it pretty clearly. It says simply this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Which I think is a good working definition for us. Faith isn't just intellectual belief. It's not just data. There is a certain element of unseenness that resides in faith. But have you ever felt like doubt was winning that tension? Like that was pulling you a bit further than faith was. So what do we do when we feel that way? How do we respond? How are we to act when we feel the tug of faith and doubt? Well, the first thing that we need to remember is that this tension is not new. Like, personally, I like to believe that, like, if I was alive during Bible times, or if I actually walked with Jesus, then I would be full of faith all the time. I'd be super faith. There would never be a problem for me. And yet, from Genesis to Revelation, we're given story after story after story of men and women who feel this same tension. They experience deep and abiding and enduring doubt. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I think Christ followers have a really great reason to be faithful. In fact, Mark tells a story of Jesus, uh, three of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John, uh, about this experience they have together. I want to I share a bit of it with you here. It says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There, was, uh, there he was transfigured before them. Now, um, I, I don't have time to unpack what that is, but that's a short sentence with a ton of meaning. Jesus is experiencing this radical physical and supernatural change. It says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, what perhaps many of us would say, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. 
So Peter kind of says the obvious here, doesn't he? They're up on this mountain. Jesus is transfigured. Elijah and Moses show up. So now it's a party. And Peter sort of blurts out, like, it is good for us to be here. Uh, Message translation, this is awesome. I can't believe we're seeing this. And it's good to be on the mountaintop, isn't it? Like for you, maybe the mountaintop was the moment that you got baptized and when you came out of that water and we're gonna experience that together in just a few minutes and people are cheering and you're crying and you're hugging. Or maybe it was a moment at blast where you're singing and you're dancing with a thousand other students and friends are making commitments for Christ and it's blowing your mind. Or maybe, maybe it's after 108 years of praying and waiting and crying. (laughs) I'm from Detroit. Don't tell my parents I just made that joke. But we're on the mountaintop, though. We can feel a lot like Peter, can't we? It's good to be here. And in those moments, doesn't it feel like God is close? Like he's near and he's present and he's moving. And truthfully, it's not even just the mountaintop moments, I think, that point to faith. There are a lot of things a lot of reasons, a lot of people that point us to faith. Science points us to faith. Has anyone here ever heard of the uh, anthropic principle? The anthropic principle is simply this, that there seems to be evidence to point towards the fact that the universe was created specifically to be well-suited for human existence. Listen to what this one physicist here says. He says, in all my conversations with those who do research on the characteristics of the universe, Not one person denies the conclusion that somehow the cosmos has been crafted to make it a fit habitat for life. Not one person denies that. He says, if an opportunity for disagreement exists, astronomers will seize it. But on this issue of the fine-tuning or careful crafting of the cosmos, the evidence is so compelling that I have yet to hear any dissent. That's a Canadian physicist named Hugh Ross who seems to be of the belief that amidst all this research, all this data, the thing bubbling to the surface is that somehow this was created for our human existence. History also points us to faith. You have guys like the Jewish historian Josephus, the Roman historian Tacitus, both write in the first century historical accounts of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, neither of whom, by the way, really expressed any evidence of being Christ followers. And I could go on. There is evidence that stacks upon itself that points us to faith, for reasons to have faith. But if you've ever felt the tug of doubt, you know that sometimes there are seasons where there are no amount of reasons that actually make us feel any better. Maybe you've experienced some real time in the valley of doubt. Maybe you've been in a season or are in one now where you've questioned everything. Maybe something happened in your life that just sort of shook you to your core. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I've just sort of always doubted. I've always, I've always questioned. And so this is kind of where I want us to spend some time this morning. And that's right here at the center in the in-between because I think all of us fit somewhere in there.
What does that look like then for us? Well, we actually see this tension play out in Mark's gospel just a few verses after this mountaintop experience. And isn't that how that often goes? We experience some euphoric mountaintop moments and then the next day, the next season, the next week, we experience the pit of doubt. So here's the scene. They're coming down off this mountain, literally a mountain, having seen Jesus transfigured, Elijah and Moses hanging out, and they're met with a crowd, as often is the case, and a man comes rushing to Jesus, asking Jesus to heal his son. Here's what, here's what he says. He says, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because it's easy, I think, for us to kind of glaze past Bible stories to get to the application. Put yourself in the heartbeat of this father. A spirit has inhabited your son, and he can now no longer speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So first and foremost, this, this guy is in it, right? This, this dad is desperate. He's at his and he apparently believed that Jesus and his disciples could maybe do something about it, but so far they had not been able to do anything. Listen to the response of Jesus. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, I love this response of Jesus. Because upon first read, at least for me, my thought is, um, why the chit-chat, Jesus? Right? Let's get to healing first, and then we can have a conversation. But this is the brilliance of Rabbi Jesus, as he looks this father in the eyes, and he says, how long have you been wrestling with this? How long has this been tugging at your heart, your family's heart? He enters into the story of the father. He could have just healed him and moved on, Right? Jesus could have very easily said, good, he's good, we gotta go, we got stuff to do, but he enters into his story. But did you catch that little word, if, though? Well, Jesus does, listen to what he says. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. If, everything is possible. Simply put, the, the father's not sure. Have you ever been there? He's like, I, I believe, but I, but I don't believe. I have faith, but I gotta be honest, I'm also spending some time over in this camp lately as well. He's caught in this in-between. And the father is at his end. But as Jesus presses this father on his use of if, listen to his response. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. I love that honesty so much. He exclaims it, right? I do believe, and also, I need help. <laughs> I'm there, but I'm also not totally there. I have faith, but Jesus, I gotta be honest of what's going on in my heart and soul right now. And then he does what I would invite all of us to do is he looks to the Father, he looks to the Son, he looks to the Holy Spirit, he looks to this Rabbi Jesus and says, help me. Help my unbelief. Have you ever been there before? I mean, I, I know I have, honestly. 
Truthfully, personally, I've sat in rooms like this. Song, songs being sung, people praying, people raising hands. And I thought to myself, I don't know that I'm there. And I felt that pit in my stomach, that heartache of tension. Maybe you're there this morning. If you know what it's like to live in this tension, I think this is maybe the most important thing that we need to remember today. That when it comes to the tension between faith and doubt, the most important word is and. The most important word is and. For some people, doubt, I think, is sort of seen as like, a, like an enemy of the faith, something to be shameful of, something to, to hide or not talk about it. But not only do I not think that's true, I think faith, I think doubt can actually be a companion to faith. Listen to what Frederick Buechner says. He says, doubts are ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. <laughs> Now, truth be told, I've only had ants in my pants like five, maybe six times tops. It's a pretty pointed imagery, though, isn't it? How easy is it for us at times to just sort of coast in our faith? Maybe you inherited one from your parents or you just sort of came because of friends. Doubt can often shake things up a bit, can get us thinking again, can help us see with new lenses. There's this really uh, thoughtful pastor in New York named Tim Keller. This is what he says. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. He goes on, a person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Friends, doubts can actually serve us quite well. They can shake us up a bit. They can help us put roots down deep. And you may be surprised to know this, but do you know that even Jesus himself struggled Even Jesus himself felt some of this tension. Listen listen to this account here. It says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. So in this scene, he's hours from his crucifixion. He's in a garden. Scripture tells us that he's literally sweating drops of blood. Now, I'm not a doctor. That sounds like stress to me. It sounds like struggle to me. This isn't watercolor Jesus floating through a meadowland with a lamb on his shoulders. This is Jesus in the pit, in the garden, saying, Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. But he prays in his struggle to trust the Father. And here's, here's what he says. He says, yet, not what I will, but what you will. It's as if to say, listen, this... this very real battle is going on within me, but ultimately not my will, but your will. Now, if you're, if you're telling the story of Jesus, right? If you're writing the scripture and Jesus is the hero of the narrative, any PR person would just cut this part of the story out, right? 
Because it makes Jesus look wobbly, doesn't it? Like, come on, man, pull it together. Unless the whole point of including it is to comfort us. To remind us that if you're in a season of doubt or struggle or heartache where it feels like you're maybe seconds away from sweating drops of blood, the Bible proclaims loudly, you are not alone. You are not alone. Jesus himself struggled. And even in the midst of that struggle, he sets an example for us. The Christ followers aren't people who never doubt. It's absolutely not true. We doubt and then we trust God with our doubt. God is not after 100% psychological certainty at all times. I think some of us maybe believe that that's true of God. It's not true. God is after, first and foremost, our heart. Because remember, in the tension between faith and doubt, the most important word is and. If you find yourself struggling in the tension of faith and doubt this morning, you find yourself echoing the words of the Father, I do believe, help my unbelief. I want to encourage you this morning. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's not. Your doubts can actually lead to a deeper, greater faith. But I know as many of you have shared, doubts can also leave us feeling crippled, right? They can leave us feeling paralyzed, like I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to leave my house. So what do we actually do when we feel caught in this tension? Well, I have just three encouragements I want to offer you. Number one, uh, express your doubts. Own them. Name them. Call them what they are. I think often the message in Christendom is that like, to be a real Christ follower, you've got to be like a total winner all the time, right? And that would be great if it wasn't for mm, the Bible. Uh, it's filled with stories of men and women who express deep, arduous doubt. So it's not, well, I'm a Christ follower, so I, get, I just don't talk like that. I don't express those things. It's, no, 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 I'm a Christ follower, and so I speak these things all the time because I trust God with them. Because when we let our doubts just sort of stew and linger, that's when they can overpower us. To navigate our doubts, we need to first express them because doubt is not an enemy to faith. But unexpressed doubt can be. Unexpressed doubt can be. So if you're struggling, find someone you can trust. I would encourage you to do it today, this week. Share openly and honestly with them. And in the same way, church, if someone comes to you with their doubts, let's offer a listening ear before we offer any advice, any scripture passages, any solutions or prescriptions. Your listening ear and compassionate heart will be far more valuable than any advice you could give them in that moment. The church will never thrive if those who experience doubt feel that they need to hide it in order to be welcomed. Number two, uh, trust Jesus with our doubts. Trust Jesus with our doubts. I think we all go through seasons of doubt, whether it's in relationships or with our jobs or even with our church community. So I would challenge you, when you are there, to pray this simple prayer right here. Jesus, if you're real, make yourself real to me. If you're real, make yourself real to me. 
Do something in my heart. Stir something in my soul that only you could do. That is the prayer, I think, of a veteran or a novice or anyone in between. God, wherever I am, wherever you may be in this tension, in this rope, you say, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Look for ways that Jesus might be wanting to reveal himself to you. Because here's, here's the point. Ultimately, it's not the strength of our faith that's the most important, but the object. Do we get that? Not ultimately about how white-knuckled we can be with our faith and how much doctrine we know and how many church things we're a part of. Ultimately, it's not the strength of our faith that matters most. It's the object. So let's rest more and more fully in the object of our faith, even when we feel like we're in a sea of doubt. Number three, join a small group. You shouldn't be surprised by that suggestion. But join a small group. Find a place where you can actually communicate and express your doubts. The church is not a place where we all have it figured out. We're here to tell you all the fill in the blanks of your life's struggle. The church is a community of people who are walking this road together amidst doubt and struggle and heartache. That's what community is. In particular, if that's you, I want to encourage you to find an alpha group. Join an alpha group. If you go on the community app and click join a small group, alpha is one of the options. It is the perfect environment to express any and all of your questions. And you won't be judged. You won't be ridiculed. It's a place for people who find themselves in that same state to ask questions, to process together in a safe environment. So to wrap up, I, I was thinking about this, this idea of faith and doubt. And I remember a story I heard about a woman named Agnes. And Agnes from a very young age just sort of believed. It was just sort of there. So much so that she, she left her family, she left everything to be a missionary, to serve God and others. And yet somewhere in there, she experienced some real difficulty. She wrote, my God, how painful is this unknown pain. Deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. And on the outside, she continued to serve. She continued to love. But for a series of about 50 years with one small respite in between, Agnes wondered, is God there? Is he hearing me, the inner darkness and pain over the absence of God continued on year after year. And this for a long time was the secret pain of Agnes, who you might know better as Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. I mean, she's like the example of holiness, isn't she? And yet we see even in her own life, this tension between doubt and faith, this tug of war in her souls. Friends, rest assured that God is not put off by your doubts. He's not disgusted by them. When the man said, I do believe, help my unbelief, Jesus didn't say, your response is ridiculous. Pull it together and then give me a call. His response is entering into his struggle and healing his boy. Jesus responds by meeting us in the and. Because here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. 
he's the knot. And whatever way our heart and soul is tugged, whether toward faith or by doubt, Jesus draws near to us. He goes with us in faith and he goes with us in doubt. Ultimately, this tug of war between faith and doubt comes down to this. Who are you gonna trust? Who are you gonna trust? A philosopher, a a teacher, an ideology, a construct. The bottom line is this, we're all gonna trust someone, right? What What if as a community, we said amidst all the stress and anguish and sorrow and pain, all the uncertainty, what if we all collectively together said, even in the midst of all of that, I'm gonna trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us with the kind of love that doesn't just simply heal and move on, but looks us deep in the eyes and enters in. God, I pray for those this morning who are feeling faithful. They're feeling like they're on the mountaintop. May they be an encouragement for us. I pray for those that feel like they're in the pit right now. They're in the valley. You would remind us, God, to be present with them. And I pray for any of us anywhere in the in-between. You would shake us up. You would wake us up. You would help us to see you and experience you in new and life-changing ways. We thank you, Father, for loving us with that kind of love. We pray all these things in the beautiful, healing name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.